This. Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies. The Joshua was old. Everybody say old. old. <laughs> advanced in age. Everybody say advanced. advanced. In age, yeah. And Joshua called for all Israel, uh, uh, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and all the officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he uh, who fought for you. And so, Father, as we, as we open up the treasure of your word, that it would speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, your word is, is living and it's active. Though these words were, were fleshed out thousands of years ago, they are every bit as relevant to us today. And so, Father, whatever idea, concept, thoughts that we had of what might happen or we, what we might hear today, Lord, we, we give you your spirit free reign to speak in any way that he would speak to us, that we would be uh, touched in a way that would look more like Jesus and that your words would lead to action. And so we give you all the glory and all the honor for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. And everybody said amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat if you would. So he says this. He says, you've seen. You've seen. You've seen God work. You've seen the miraculous take place. Um, you know, and I, and I thought about this. You can't deny what you've seen what you know to be true. I mean, there's some things that you see where it's like, okay, I don't know if that's true or not. But when it applies to me and the experiences of God, there are things that I have seen, things that I know, and it's like, you know, I'm willing to debate, I'm willing to argue, but there's nothing you can tell me that's going to change what I know to be true. And, and, and a lot of people want to tell me what happened to me. And say, well, that's not really what happened. It's like, for, wait, wait, wait. You don't have the authority to tell me what happened to me. No, this is true. I believe this. And, and, and I'm willing to stake my life on this. Uh, hopefully, Lord, I'm never in that position. But, you know, grace, grace, if necessary. Um, uh, so you've seen. And, and, and what you know to be true about God and about his word, also about the times that, that you've watched God operate in a powerful way, you know, no one can take that from you. And it's the things that God has done in the past are reminders to me today that encourage me and strengthen me and give me hope for the future. So I can look back at what God did and I could say, God, that was awesome. I remember that. And it helps me. Testimony is important. Uh, uh, and some of you have amazing testimonies of what God has done in your life, even recently. Uh, there's a brother sitting here today that told me that the doctors told him Friday that if it wasn't for the strength of his heart, he would have had a stroke. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm not going to point him out, but he's sitting in that section back there, okay? <laughs> By the way, hello to everybody who's watching us online, right? Um, you, can't, you can't, you know, argue that. A testimony is, is, is uh, 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 to testify about what you know to be true, what God has done. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, redeemed Israel. That is that in times 
awakening of the nation, not every individual, but, but the people of Israel who come to know Christ and become this amazing evangelistic force when the veil is lifted and their eyes are opened to the Messiah, Yeshua. And it speaks of them and it talks about how they overcome and how they are able to uh, uh, understand and see the deceits of the enemy. And it says in Revelation twelve eleven, they overcame him, that is the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. How did they overcome him? First and foremost, by the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, whose blood cleanses us of all of our sin and by the word of their testimony. And so the blood of the lamb cleansing them of their sins and opening their eyes to the reality of who Jesus is and, and, and their testimony uh, is powerful and it cause, it's so powerful that it causes them to live their life in such a way that, that they don't care about death. This end time conglomeration of people. And so knowing and remembering that work of God um, in their lives protects them against the schemes of Satan and it does the same for you and I. And I wrote this down, don't ever discount your testimony. There are people who have like amazing testimonies and you hear it and you're encouraged and you're strengthened and hopefully they will be humble enough to say it's not all about me and my testimony. It's about the God who allowed this to happen. And, and we say amen to that. That's awesome. And there are other people who you might think, well, you know, I became a Christian when I was like 12 years old, and I've been serving God my whole life. I've never really veered by God's grace. He's kept me, and I've been on course, and I've tried to be obedient, and, and I've never really fell off and into sin that is equally as powerful of a testimony. I mean, don't make the emotional aspects of any testimony any greater than any other testimony. Though it may be profound, it is the same God who reaches those who are toe up from the flow up to those who grew up knowing the Lord their whole life. Can you say amen to that? Well, I'm out of breath already. It's still in my introduction. Oh, my goodness. Testimony matters. I like to journal things. I like to write things down because it helps me to remember. And God, the Spirit, reminds me of things. In the time of need, there are times where I go back to an old journal, and, and I don't have volumes and volumes of journals, but I just would, as a young believer, would write things down. And the Spirit of God has always brought me back to those things to encourage me and to strengthen me. Another thing I want you to see in verse 3, he basically says that don't forget that God did this because of you. God is a God of covenant. And that's a word that I keep rehashing and rethinking over and over again. When you read in the Bible the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're talking about the covenant-keeping God. Because these people are in the promised land that God promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis. Because he's a covenant-keeping God, and because of his relationship with Abraham, that covenant has come to pass to them. Because our God is a covenant-keeping God. He promised this land to them. You see, God only deals with people based on 
covenant. It's his economy. It's what he does. And if you want to deal with God on some other basis, it is not appropriate. Uh, I was having a conversation with with our our mother years ago. Because when I first became a believer, everyone needed to believe in Jesus Christ. Everyone. And if not, I would help you to believe in Jesus Christ. And encourage you and even force you. (laughs) No, you must come to Christ. You don't understand. Richard, we don't want to hear it anymore. It doesn't matter if you don't want to hear it anymore. You need to hear this. It's like, you've already told us 10 times, let there be an 11th time. I mean, it just wouldn't stop. And, you know, I don't want to lose that edge, but I don't want to be obnoxious either, right? So we're having a conversation with mom and in Riverside. And, you know, we, I don't know, she was one who said, basically, don't talk about Jesus anymore. I mean, it wasn't she that wasn't a believer. She was just tired of my presentation. <laughs> She'd had enough. <laughs> it's not that funny, sister. So I'm having this conversation with her, and it's like, she brought it up. And I said, okay, you want to go there? Let's go there. And she goes, well, you know, I, I, was, I was baptized. And I said, Mom, how old were you when you were baptized? She didn't even remember. <laughs> Infant baptisms, we don't do that here. But anyway, and she goes, well, not only, and she couldn't answer the question. And she goes, well, not only was I baptized, I was confirmed. And I said, Mom, confirmed to what? She goes, I don't know. <laughs> it had been a while, apparently, too. And I said, and then she said this, and just recently, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I went, what? (laughs) You did what? You didn't even tell me. Who? How did this happen? I was all offended. Like, no, I wanted to see, be there with that. No, no. I said, how did we did? And she goes, I I was just sitting here in the, in the, in the family room watching Billy Graham. And, and he invited people to ask Christ to forgive. And she she used all the appropriate phraseology, and my mom is all born again, didn't even tell her son. I was like, okay, well, praise God. Hmm. Because what happened is, is, is she recognized that, she had, that God deals with us based on covenant, his, his things. And there's only two covenant representatives. In every ancient covenant, there was always someone who would stand out from the nation or from the group who would be the covenant representative. And, and all of the treaties, all of the data, all of the information, everything about the covenant would be, would be said to be in him. In. So, so, so I couldn't enter into a covenant with Babylon, but my covenant representative represents all of us. He can enter into it. And because he's entered into it, I'm in it. So, there's only two covenant representatives today, according to the word of God, Adam or Christ. That's it. Only those two. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, for since by man came death, by man, capital M-A-N, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all die. All shall be made alive. God only deals with people based on covenant. And there are only two covenants available today. You are either in, preposition in, means that you are depending on Adam, that he is your covenant representative before God, or you are in Christ, that is, you're depending on Jesus. He's the one who will stand before you. Now, question, would you rather have Adam, as great as he was, 
and as long as he lived and as wise as he was, would you rather have Adam who sinned against God representing you before the, the, the throne and the almighty judge of all the earth or would you rather have Jesus, his son, representing you? That's a choice that all of us have to make. And the key word is in. Who's your representative? If you have been born again, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you've asked for forgiveness of sins, then Jesus is your covenant representative. And I'm happy to say he's never lost a case. Now, if not, then you are in Adam and all who are in Adam die. There's no forgiveness being in Adam. You can't make yourself good enough. You can't give enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't go through all the rituals. You can't try to be a good person. You can't try to help others, you know, follow the golden rule, and maybe at the end everything will be okay. No, there are only two covenant representatives, and you are either in one or the other. These people are in covenant with God. Therefore, they have this land. And he says this, the Lord your God is he who fought for you. Uh, Joshua wants to make a clear point that it's not because of your military prowess that you, uh, I don't know, saw the, one of the major strongholds in this whole land, uh, saw the walls fall flat. It wasn't your idea. That's something God did. And he reminds them who's in control here. Uh, king David, before he was king, when he's, when he's uh, uh, engaged in, a, uh, in the octagon with uh, Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, 47 says, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That's the proper perspective. See, what David didn't say is, man, I got five stones, bro. I only need one for you. Your head is so big, man. That's going to be easy. No, that's not what he said. He said, the Lord will give us the victory. Ah, Verse 5 says, And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess the land as the Lord your God has, what? Promised. Now here's the other thing is because they had, for the most part, they had uh, occupied the land, there were still enemy forces that had to be driven out. It says, I believe in Exodus that God was going to drive them out little by little because he didn't want to drive them all out and, and then, and then you know, the land be desolate because the people were like, well, man, now there's weeds growing. And, 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 and so he, 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 he brought them into the land piecemeal, so to speak, but, but he also wanted them to participate. See, the Lord didn't want to do everything for them. He wanted them to, he, he, he started the process, but then he wanted them to finish the process, if I can use that terminology. He wanted them to, to go forth into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Oh, no, Lord, we're going to let you. Listen, Jesus, you've already done the work. Uh, you know, uh, those who are yours, you know, and we don't need to do anything. It's all been done. Well, in one respect, that's true. But our work's not done either. Does that make sense? Uh, you've been saved and you've been redeemed and you've been blessed not to be a sponge but to be a catalyst so that you can bless others until the work is done and guess what i don't need to remind you the work's not done you know that there's more to be done there's outward battles that need to take place 
we may be seated with Christ in heavenly places. We may be seated with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Uh, yet there's a definite part that you and I have to play in working out this salvation. Not working for salvation, but there's a part that we play in working out our salvation. Okay? That's God's part. And then there's our part. These people still had some fighting to do. Joshua's concerned that they won't finish the job. He's going the way of all the earth. His time is up. There's a transition happening, and he knows it. But he wants to remind them, y'all, you got two things you need to worry about here, and really more than that, but, but there's some emphasis here that we want to talk about. And then Joshua knows their weak spots, and he knows where the spiritual landmines are, and, and so he, he brings up this, the outward battles that need to take place. But I believe more importantly than the outward battles is the inward battle. Because before they ever surrender, go opposite of God, go the other direction, there's something that happens within them. We have to understand it's the same with us. Before we end up down here or we end up far from God and his plans and purposes, before that ever happens, there's something that happens in here. And that's the bigger battle. The inward battle. So he says this. And these words are like golden words for us today. He says, be very courageous. Courage is not necessarily the absence of fear, but is the willingness to go forth past fear. We remember Moses saying the same thing. And we remember... And as we read even the New Testament, that we need to be courageous because it will take courage to keep God's word and do what it says in a world that is seeped with immorality. And for us, the context is a world that's seeped in fear. It takes great courage when there is so much fear to go on with God and so much temptation to just follow the course be very courageous. Secondly, keep and do all that is written in the book of the law. We're tempted to turn from his word. Satan wants us to turn, he says, to the left or to the right. But we need to stay the course. Um, let me just... Verse 6, therefore be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside to the, left, or to the right hand or to the left, or lest you go among these nations... These who remain among you, you shall not mention the name of their gods, nor cause any, anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you uh, shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done this day. Be very courageous. Keep doing all that is written in the book of the law. And don't even mention the name of their gods. Don't, don't even acknowledge them. And certainly don't swear by them and don't serve them. This is going to be a constant challenge for these people as you get into the judges and points beyond. There are two keys here. Verse, verse 8 says this, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done this day. 
Now, that's not really a word that we use too much in our English. Hold fast. Um, the, the word in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, uh, another word is cleave. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and cleave together with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's a, there's a, there's a unity, there's a, there's a oneness that takes place when we, when we cleave to the Lord. And, and Joshua was reminding them, these are his final words to them. He's saying, listen, you need to cleave, hold fast, cling tightly to the Lord your God. Because you are in a land that has seeped with immorality. And you will be constantly tempted to go that direction unless, first and foremost, you cleave to God. Does that not sound like a recipe for us today? Yes, it's consistent. And the second key is verse 11 says, Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. I, did we talk about loving God? Did we talk about that at all? Like in the last couple of weeks? Did Jesus say something similar to that when he was asked, What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord, your God, with all your strength, with everything within you. Love the Lord. Those are two keys. Cleave, hold fast, cling tightly to the Lord, and then love the Lord your God. Redpath, uh, Alan Redpath said, how often we see that the temptation we have pampered and encouraged and indulged in has become a scourge and a thorn in our side. The compromising Christian is not a happy man. Let the enemy remain in a Christian life. Let him have one foothold and he soon becomes a scourge. All of us feel the, the, the pressure of the world around us. It says in Romans chapter 2 in the J.B. Phillips translation, it says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from where? From within, because the bigger battle is within. We look at the behavior and we go, that's terrible. How can that? Okay, you have to back it up because the behavior doesn't happen like, like instantaneously, for the most part, it's something that happens in the heart long before the behavior manifests itself in action. And so we have to take heed, pay attention. We have to cling to the Lord, follow his word. We have to love him more than anything else. I ask people in marriage counseling, I go, I'll look at the, 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 the husband-to-be and I go, what's your most important responsibility in, in, in marriage according to the word of God? You know, I love to see, because I don't tell them I'm going to ask that question. And I love to see their faces and, and they're thinking, oh, something about loving like Christ. Love? Love? Yes. Love who? Love my spouse. Eh, wrong. What? No. Love God with everything within you. That's your number one responsibility in your marriage. You have to have one number one, and that number one is Jesus Christ. Your wife is your number two, and your children are your number three. Don't get it twisted. You love God with everything within you, you're doing your part. 
by God's grace and his help. Don't let the world squeeze you and mold you into its image. Because it takes courage to stand strong, especially if you're the only one. And it takes love to continue to stand strong and to follow and please the Lord. Verse 12 says this. He's going on. So he's, he's given them this and he's repeating himself only in a different way. He says, or else, if indeed you go back, if indeed you go back, back to what? Back to worshiping idols. And for us, we have to be careful that we don't go back. You know what back is. It's different for you than what it is for me. There's certain things that will take me back in my mind if I let them. I was listening to a song. I have Pandora, you know, the free version of Pandora. This is not an advertisement for Pandora, but I have the free version of Pandora. You can thumbs up or thumbs down songs. You know, so they will rep- they'll repeat, you know. And I was listening to this song, and, um, and it took me back to a place and a space that wasn't good. And I went, oh, heck no. I had to thumbs down that song. And we have to thumbs down things that will take us back to places and spaces that we don't, we don't want to go there because it's still resonant in our mind and maybe even a little in our heart. So it's a battle. He says, if indeed you go back. And cling, instead of to the Lord, to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they into you. So, so they've, they've, they've gone back, and then, they've, and, then they, and then they, instead of clinging to God, they cling to these nations that, that are there. And then now they're, now they're marrying and intermarrying. And it has nothing to do with, with culture as much as it has to do with the God of that culture. These people worship false gods. And, and he's saying, you marry and you, you, you go back and you cling to. And then next, now you're marrying and then you're having children. You're perpetuating a generation of people that will not know the Lord. And he says, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they will be snares and traps and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Oh, he's being real with these people. You're a covenant people, and you agreed to the covenant at Mount Sinai, and part of the agreement was we will worship you, God, and if not, God says, I will take you out of this land that I have given you. And Joshua reminds them of that. I wrote this down because this word just keeps coming to my mind and my heart, and that is that our God is a God of distinction. Distinctions are all over the creation model. Uh, there's God and there's everything else. Uh, there's uh, 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 angels and there's, there's humans. There's darkness and there's light. There's heaven and there's earth. There's animal kind and there's humankind. There's truth, there's lies, there's light, there's dark, there's life, there's death. There's husband, and there's wife, and there's male, and there's female, 
and there's female, and there's distinctions because in the creation model, God said, let there be distinctions between things. That's why those animals would procreate and, and, and they're with their own kind. Our God is a God of distinctions. And those that don't hold to the biblical worldview will always try to remove the distinctions of God's design. Is it logical, for example, to want to save the whales while at the same time holding to a pro-choice view of abortion? It's not logical unless you believe there's no distinction between animals and humans and the whales are more important than humans. Now, it's not that animals don't matter. God created them. We're to be kind and we're to, we're to, 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 to treat them kindly. But guess what? We're also as mankind to exercise dominion over the earth and over anim- animals. And it's illogical to have that kind of thinking unless you believe that the baby in the womb has no intrinsic value. The LGBTQ movement mocks God's design of male and female homosexual marriage, mocks God's design for marriage and the family and says, God, we don't care what you say distinctions are. We want our own distinctions and we choose to violate what you said should be in order. That's the root of the issue apart from not knowing the love and grace of a God who created us distinctively, male and female. Our president, Biden, has signed an executive order to clear the way for boys who identify as girls to participate in sporting events. And at the core of what it is, it is, it is a mocking the design that God has created male and female. And so now we have what will, if it continues on, what will be the end of women's sports. Because boys slash men who identify as women will be winning all the races. Newsflash, biologically speaking, boys are faster and stronger than women, than girls are. And I don't say that to cast judgments on someone that might be struggling with gender confusion, but in the name of political correctness, we're erasing the lines that God has, has drawn. I've yet to see a girl who identifies as a boy win a boy's sporting event because the reverse doesn't work. Beware, church, hear my heart. Beware of government officials or leaders who legislate the removal of God's distinctions. How can one hold a biblical worldview and still support the ideology of those who mock God? That's a question that the church must wrestle with. And I'll leave that at that. But that's between you and God. I just asked a question. Love God or else go back. And you'll cling to and you'll marry and there'll be a loss of distinction. We in the church 
must stand for the things that God stands for. We cannot embrace the removal of distinctions lest we lose our distinction and then we become irrelevant to a world that says the church is no different than we are. And if the city of Las Vegas doesn't have a group of people that are both salt and light, which is the church's responsibility because of our covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, what hope does our city have? We have no hope. But there's a remnant of people who will continue to stand for truth, who will speak the truth in love, not judgment, but will share the word of God and love people. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as, uh, as you love uh, the Lord. Second is likened to it. There's always a remnant. May we be that remnant. May you be that remnant. Verse 13, it goes on and says, The Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they will be snares and traps, scourges on your sides, thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Here is the battle. It happens slowly. It happens deliberately. It happens in the heart. This is where it happens. Warren Wiersbe says this, Imagine the folly of worshiping the gods of a defeated enemy. God defeats these enemies, and then the people begin to worship the gods that God defeated. Ah. Ah. Verse 14. Joshua says, Behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing God has failed to do, uh, has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Verse 15, Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you and have gone and served other gods, and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. And if you know the story, you know that's what happened. The nation of Israel was taken captive by Assyria, and Babylon was ta- then, then Babylon took the southern kingdom of Judah, and they went into captivity for 70 years. Joshua reminds the people that the words of God don't fail. They have seen it. The blessings of God don't fail, and the discipline of a loving father doesn't fail either. Both are evidences of his love. Come on, parents. Parents, come on. If you're a good parent and a biblical parent, you know that every once in a while you got to open up the can of whoop butt. I'm not speaking of abuse. I'm not speaking of anger. I'm speaking of good, biblical, oh, heck no. No, 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 no. Don't try to applaud. <laughs> I don't mean that in love. I mean, it's, it's just the way it is, you know. Sometimes kids don't understand it. Then they have their own kids. They're like, okay, yeah, okay, what? 
What'd you, what, what'd you just, oh, heck no. It's a circle. Life's a circle. It all comes back. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 5. <clears throat> Wait a second. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. <laughs> and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when he, what's that word? Corrects Corrects you. Yeah. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. I say that to say, does God curse Christians today? Hmm. Remember, God deals with people based on covenants. And we relate to God under a different covenant, not the Mosaic covenant covenant. It's a better and a new covenant, according to Hebrews 8, 6, and 7, by which Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law, Galatians 3, 10 through 14. Therefore, in Jesus, we no longer experience God's loving faithfulness to curse us as Israel knew it, yet we experience God's faithfulness to what? Correct us as a loving father. And we might experience a lack of living in the fullness of relationship with him because of ongoing sin in our life. That's if we don't abide in Christ. We are celebrating communion today, and I'm so glad that we are. I told you that last words really matter, right? Well, the last words of Jesus Christ, come on up, on the cross was tetelestai. Now, those weren't his last words because Jesus will never have last words because he lives outside of time. But his last words on the cross were tetelestai, which is an accounting term, which means it. Well, it's written in your Bible as well as mine. It is finished. But the actual Greek rendering is paid in full. Paid in full. Jesus is declaring that there's a debt that's owed to God. And the debt cannot be paid by anyone else. It is the sins of the world, your sins and my sins. It is all everything that every human being has ever done in violation of the law of God. And the wages or the payoff or the end result of all of that sin is death, physical death. And for those who do not come to the one covenant representative, it is spiritual death. And when he said it is paid in full, he paid the debt for your sin and my sin. He died and conquered the grave and death and hell and rose from the grave. And because of that, my sin debt, which I cannot pay, I can't be good enough, I can't be religious enough, I can't get baptized enough, I can't get confirmed enough, but I can receive Jesus Christ into my heart for the forgiveness of my sins as my Lord and my Savior. And by His grace, I can walk in obedience to him and as a result of that my sin debt has been paid in full 
Not partially paid and we'll see how it goes. Not let's cut a deal, give me 30% now, 30% and when you're 30. No, completely paid by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I stand before Christ, before God, in my own flesh, guilty of sin. I already know I'm a sinner. If you would have asked me when I was 25 years old, are you a sinner? I would have said, heck yes. <laughs> I mean, that's not even a point of argument. And I wasn't even a believer in the sense that I believed in Jesus enough for it to change my life in any way, shape, or form. I believed in Jesus. It just had no impact in my life. That's just having intellectual belief. And then he opened up my eyes. That my debt had been paid. And I say, thank you, Jesus. I recognize that there's no other way this could have happened because I thought I was a pretty good guy. And the reality is I wasn't. Not compared to the righteousness of Christ. So, we celebrate communion today. If you are not in covenant with Christ, don't feel compelled to do this as some sort of religious exercise. There's a place of forgiveness for you should you receive it. This is something we do as church family. We, we, we celebrate a covenant meal because whenever two ancient parties enter into a covenant, there was always a meal. In marriages today, it typically manifests itself as a, as a, a marriage supper. You know, we get invited to a wedding the first thing we ask is, is there going to be food? <laughs> and the second thing we ask is, who made the cake? Because <laughs> we have yet to find a cake as good as our cake was. I digress. Jesus offers us a covenant meal, if you would, a reminder of what he has done, what he has done for us that could not be done by ourselves. I'll read this scripture to you. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter, chapter 11, verse 23. Speaking of that first communion, which really wasn't the first because the Passover was the communion for the Jews, if you would. Paul the Apostle says, For I receive from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread. In every covenant meal, there was bread, typically, and each covenant representative would take a piece of one loaf and they would each eat it. And it symbolized their unity, or their oneness. Because the entire nation couldn't eat of the loaf. But the, the one who was in covenant could. When he had taken uh, bread, he, then he gave thanks he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we do this in remembrance and in celebration of our covenant relationship with God. Let's take of this together. It says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Paul would also say, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Whenever two parties entered into a covenant, there was typically always a shedding of blood. Somehow. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's the testimony of what Jesus Christ did, relevant in my life today and giving me hope for the future. Let's take of this cup together. Amen, God, we are thankful. We're thankful for your grace. Lord, we, we're thankful for the people who are here in this place and those who have joined us online. And Father, we just pray that your word will accomplish what it's designed to do. Lord, that there will be no condemnation, but Lord, you gently convict by your spirit to draw us to grace. And if there's anyone that needs that conviction to turn today, God, it's a sovereign work that you do. We're thankful for it. And we ask you to move by your spirit. Lord, we ask you to help us as believers to, to, walk, to walk tall, to walk strong, not in our own strength or in our own might, but to engage those who do not know you and in love share the truth in words and in deeds. Lord, may we, as your people, be salt and light. And we give you all the glory, Lord. You have, you have allowed us to be here for such a time as this. This is a, it's a tough season. There are hard places and hard faces, and yet you have caused us to be your people who will, who will share these things in, in your time and in your places. And so, God, use us. Oh, Lord, may we, may we always, always be searching the fields that are ripe for harvest for that fruit that is ready. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory for using us for your good pleasure. And God, if we can share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we say, like Isaiah, here am I, send me. And we give you all the praise because you're worthy of it. And we thank you for covenant. We thank you for Jesus. It is all because of you. In, in your great name, we ask and pray and celebrate today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.